everybody. Welcome to this episode of Turning to Him. My name is Zach Batty, and I am here with Taylor Cutler, who has taken time out of her day to share some of her experiences with us. Taylor, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on here. Well, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us some background. Okay. I am a stay-at-home mom. I have two very little kids. One of them just turned one, a little girl, and then I have a two and a half year old boy. So they keep uh-huh. me very, very busy. Congratulations. Those are that's a fun age. It is. It's a lot of fun. Um okay, now as we were speaking before, uh, you mentioned that you kind of wanted to talk about uh there was a time of inactivity in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what brought you back though wasn't so much a grand spiritual experience, but kind of small and logical decisions that brought you back. Is that fair? Is that a fair description? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So first describe, I guess, so we have a rough timeline. Um, when was the period of inactivity? Okay. So, um, similar to you, I believe in high school, my parents got divorced. Yes. Um, I was a senior in high school and, um, I guess you could say it all started around then. Um, I, my parents actually separated when I was 12 and got back together. And that healing of our family was such a foundational part of our family and our spirituality and my personal testimony that when they got divorced again, or, you know, separated and then divorced, it was kind of like, well, wait, what, what happened? Where did all of that go? Yeah. Yeah. So it was in, it was in high school. Um, and then into my college years. Okay. But all of this occurred. Okay. So since it's in high school, back up, explain your junior high life to me. Uh, junior high. Uh, very, very quiet. I was a very quiet girl. Okay. I had a teacher who always said I never smiled ever. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't remember a lot of junior high. I was just a very quiet person. <laughs> Would you consider your family active in the church? Oh, yeah. My dad was bishop when we. I was born in Houston. He was bishop there. When we moved to Utah, he was bishop in Utah. Very active, very involved in the ward. Okay. Just like uh, your the quintessential Utah family. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Five. And where are you in those? I'm the third girl. Or the third, sorry, I'm the third, but the oldest girl. So okay. I'm like the third, but I'm also kind of like the oldest sometimes. Yes, yes, yes. That makes <laughs> sense. Okay, so you're growing up in a very active home. Mm-hmm. Um, gospel is a is a strong part of your life, that's mm-hmm. fair to say. And then uh, when you're 12, your parents get separated. Yes. What does that do to you? It was, it was... It was a very weird. <laughs> my dad was bishop at the time. Okay. And I go to church one day. Everyone's crying. My dad's released as bishop. I have no idea what's going on. Maybe my parents told me before that was about to happen. I don't remember. Um, it was just different. People just kind of like, it seems like kind of treated us differently. Like, oh, they're, they have family issues now. Like that's weird. And people were nice, but it's just kind of a different, you feel like people are watching. Okay. And that's, that's interesting because, uh, I mean, as a 
the family of the bishop, you're being watched anyway. Yeah. And now the family of a bishop who, like you said, maybe has family issues. That's a different kind of watching. It is. And before this had happened, a girl who was my age said, had said, you know, cause we knew, we knew a lot of people in our ward. We knew our neighbors. We were, we were pranking our neighbors. We like, we were just very active in the ward. And this girl said, you know, I think it's really time that everyone gets over your family and pays attention to someone else's family. And, you know, girls were petty. And, you know, soon enough, she got her wish. <laughs> People kind of moved on because our family was a tragedy now. Uh, okay, that's that's tough for a 12-year-old to process. Yeah, I remember being really annoyed with the new bishop because it was supposed to be my dad. So I was just always like, oh, so man. I kind of took it out on this new bishop. Like, what does he think he's doing? <laughs> he took yeah. my dad calling, which is silly. It's silly. Sure, but- sure. But understandable. I mean, yeah, you're 12 years old, like you said. Yeah. Okay. So then what happens? Your parents are separated for, I'm sorry. No, your parents are divorced for a bit, but then. They no, separate. just separated. Yeah. Thank you. Parents are separated for a bit and then they get back together. And you said that that was a fantastic experience for your family. Mm-hmm. Talk, yeah, tell me about that. It's kind of this very spiritual blessing. Like we can do this. We could do hard things. Um, you know, we, we prayed, we fasted, this is, this is God blessing us that it was just kind of this miracle that we could all carry around and it was exciting. And then, and that, and that lasted, oh, I'm trying to remember. So they were separated probably less than a year. So that lasted for probably about five or six years. Okay. Um, and then for how long were they together again? About, about five and six. Oh, I'm sorry. Five and six years. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. They were separated for less than a year. And then they got, when they got back together, we were a family again for about five to six years. Okay. And then explain to me again, what happens here when they announce we're getting divorced? So it's, this is not something I talk about for a lot of reasons. And one of the reasons is It's become clear to me that the experiences, when you go through a group trauma like this, the experiences of every person in that group, and maybe you can, you know, agree with this, are so different. Yes. It's so weird to hear my siblings talk about the divorce because they'll say things and I'll be like, no, that is just not even true. But it is, it's true to them. And that was their experience. So I don't talk about this because I don't want, I don't want anyone who's listening to be like, oh, she thinks she has she experienced it this way. And you know what I mean? So I'll I'll just tell you what I remember. And I don't, I don't know, but I remember it was a couple months after my 18th birthday and my dad started to cry. And that's terrifying when you see someone like your dad crying. And I, and I, um, he had made some comments about separating from my mom again. And I just kind of ignored them. And, and previous to this conversation, and he said, I'm just not happy. And I I think I'm going to leave again. And in my memory, I knew I held this information for a couple of days before anyone else knew. And then it was Halloween of 2012. No, sorry, 2012 Halloween day. 
he he sat everyone down. I I some somebody told me he sat us all down and said he was gonna leave. I don't remember that happening, but um, and then he moved out, and it was it was it's hard to explain. This is another reason that I don't talk about it because you just can't communicate what it's like. Yeah. But it was like a fog rested on our house. I would go to school and I'd come home and right in front of our, my door, my the door to my house, it was a fog. And you open that door and you enter it and you don't smile. There's no happiness. You know, there's no laughing. You can't don't talk to my mom. You know what I mean? Like, just don't make her cry. Don't make anyone cry. It was just crazy. And then, um, on my dad's side, visiting my dad, it's similar. It's just like, he feels like, you know, he, I just felt so much pressure, like to, to spend time with him and to help him, even though my mom is falling apart and I am falling apart. Um, my oldest brother had just barely gotten married a month before my second oldest brother was on a mission. So I'm the oldest one in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also awkward with the ward because it's like, here, what's happening again. And it, and it, we didn't really tell anybody, but I was the ward organist. And so I was sitting on the stand one Sunday and somebody who did know was giving a talk. And I happened to also play a musical number in church And he spoke right after, and he said, he basically announced to the ward about my parents getting divorced. (laughs) And I was sitting on the stand. So of course, I feel like everyone's watching me just bawling. I should have just left for a minute and composed myself, but I didn't. I just sat there (laughs) and cried and everyone was crying and my family was, it was just like, it was rough. Yeah. Really rough. I mean, and I'm sure you can you can relate to how it is to be in high school with friends who are living it up their high school years while your family's falling apart. Right, right. And you're thinking, how are you guys expressing happiness? Don't you understand that the <laughs> right. world has ended? You right. Don't what, what yeah. Do you I don't. I don't care about the dance this Friday. Do you? Exactly. What? um okay and you said that there was one younger individual in the home younger sibling there were three younger three Mm -hmm. okay so yeah i mean that's a that's a totally different situation um so you find yourself in a tough tough spot tell me what that did to your relationship to the savior or with the savior yeah well i I basically stopped having one at that point. I was definitely angry. I just listened to an episode where you talked about, you know, how it's so common to turn your anger to God. Definitely. I did that. Um, I, I think one of the, one of the biggest things was I felt so alone, you know, you're going into high school where nobody really understands what you're going through. I'm going home where I don't feel like I can, um, I don't feel like I have the emotional support I need because everyone needs it. And like my parents were great. I don't want to under under I don't want to insult them at all, but we were all going through a huge trauma. Sure. Um, and so it's hard to have that it's hard to support each other when you're all needing help. And 
I just felt forgotten and like I had nowhere to go. And you always hear stories in the church of like, oh, I was at my lowest. I was hurting and there was a knock on my door. And I always was waiting for that knock. And it, I felt like it never, ever came. Or when it did come, it would, it would like end up being not at all what I thought. Mm -hmm. For how long did that last? Um, I would say, so I, shortly after that, I moved away to college, which was a very hard decision, but I only moved 20 minutes away to college. So I was still close. Um, so through college, about three years. All right. Now, at this time, I mean, you said you felt alone. Did you have any friends that you could rely on? I mean, was anybody on your team? Uh, and like you said, your family's great, mm -hmm. but they're going through their own trial. I mean, if you all are drowning in the ocean, it's hard to help each other swim. Right. Does anybody have a rowboat in your life? Is anybody helping uh, with the ability to help? Right. So... That's one difficult thing about going through this in high school is your friends don't, most high school kids haven't gone through really hard things yet. Yeah. And so I did have some friends and they would kind of reach out, but I would also, I kind of isolated myself a little bit too. And so I don't want to say that nobody tried to help me. I think it was partly my fault, partly me pushing people away and, um, but no, I, I didn't feel like there was, there was one time where in, um, in college, there was a girl in my ward who seemed really nice. She, she had just had an engagement fall through. So she was going through a hard time. And I thought, you know what, I can step outside myself a little bit. And I brought brownies to her and it was such a great experience. And we became really close friends. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, this is it. This is the person who's going to help me get through this, which is flawed thinking. But that was kind of my thought, like, this is the knock on my door, even though I knocked on her door. Right. And we ended up being roommates. And then she turned on me and was terrible to me. And she said awful things like, you need to spend time at my house. So you know what a, what a good family is like. Um, yeah. She was just, she was so awful to me. And it was just kind of like, what yeah <laughs> yeah yeah to be or and i have one more example of that i this was before i kind of stopped going to church i i was not enjoying church but i was still kind of going um and because i play the organ and i have a hard time saying no i was going to fulfill my calling yes. because i don't want to say no <laughs> even though i didn't want to be there and i i wasn't really sure i believed in it and I had a singles word bishop call me into his office and it was exactly the moment I was waiting for. Again, I didn't know him, but he said, your name has come into my mind. Like I'm here for you. I can tell you need help. Um, I want to meet with you every week. It was wonderful. He was so awesome. And I was again, like, finally, this is it. And I met with him twice. And at the second meeting, it was the last meeting of the Sunday. And I remember thinking, this guy is just like so righteous and so awesome. He could just be twinkled. Like, yeah, yeah. And um, that was the last meeting of a Sunday. We walked out of the building together. He locked the building. We went our separate ways. The next morning I got up, went to work, got a call from my roommate. And she said, come home right now. And this bishop had gone out for a run 
and had a heart attack and died in a Target bathroom all by himself. And to someone who was already struggling, this was such a hit because like I, it felt like a joke. It felt like if there's a God, he's mocking me right now. Yeah. Because not only was this man going to help me and now he's gone, but he was such a wonderful man and he died in such a, like a lonely way in tragic way. And he had, um, he had one son coming home from a mission and the other one about to get married. And like, when you're, when you're already struggling with a testimony, that kind of experience, it's like the opposite of a, of a pillar of light conversion story. Right. 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 Like, wow. What, what do I believe here? So yeah. it was, it was, it was not a good, not a helpful experience for me. Taylor, I so appreciate you being very real with your feelings because I think a lot of people feel this way in their own experiences. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know that a lot of people have had an experience of their favorite bishop dying of a heart attack, but I think a lot of people have felt exactly what you've said. God is mocking me. Yeah. First of all, I don't even know if I believe in God. And second of all, garbage like this happens. I'm not this is not adding up well for me. Right. And I think that, again, a lot of people feel that way, but sometimes we're afraid to admit that or afraid to talk about that, but we have to, that's part of life. And that's part of a lot of people's experience. Right. Right. Would you, go ahead. I was just going to say, and there are a lot of worse experiences than that too. Just for sure. It's crazy out there. Would you consider this, uh, a, the spiritual low for you? at this point? Probably not even quite yet. Okay. We're still kind of going to church at least. Yeah. Um, there was a point I was also, um, I, I ended up majoring in philosophy. Okay. Which like this combination isn't great because philosophy yeah. can be so like anti-religion, right? Uh, and it and it wasn't necessarily anti-religion, but it really challenges you to think. Right. Uh, and and so I did eventually stop attending church, and I I never like went crazy and rebellious and did crazy things. Like I wasn't off doing drugs, I wasn't drinking, um, but I definitely was thinking about the things I was hearing in school, and I was thinking about myself and like what what really do i believe yeah and i think in my college career i took a lot of philosophy classes okay. and i think um it's not it's not that thinking equates to losing your testimony by any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. but in my experience um it's it's not just the philosophy classes but it is typically not always but typically the type of student that those classes attract and the type of students that are majoring in that are oftentimes those who don't thrive in religion and are and are sophistry and um sometimes have an air about them where they have outgrown this childish idea of religion yes like, I, don't, I don't need that that's cute yes. for you country hillbillies but right. i'm an educated thinker okay totally. I studied Descartes. Okay. Like, <laughs> all right. Why don't you just take it easy there? Exactly. 
But so, yeah, I can see how that is. That can be a very tough environment to be in for somebody who is struggling spiritually. Right. And I've never been a person who likes to talk about feelings. I don't like to be vulnerable. I almost canceled coming on this podcast seven times. (laughs) Um, I just don't like feelings and emotions. And I think philosophy also attracts that where you, where you like the logic, you like to think things through and the emotion stuff is just frilly silliness. Yes. Yes. Okay. So this is where you find yourself. And at some point, I'm, I assume at some point during this, you say, I'm not going to go to church anymore. The organ can play itself. I'm out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, how long do you stay there? Hey, this is all very fuzzy. I was just in a very dark place and memories don't line themselves up neatly when you're in a dark place. So I wouldn't even say it was that long. But when when my bishop passed away, that was probably 2013. And so through 2013, 14, um, and probably a good chunk of 2015 as well. So a couple of years. Okay. What changes? So this is this is this is where this theme of like big experiences and and small choices comes into play. So I have obviously my the friends I'm surrounding myself with are in similar situations as me where they're questioning the church, not really active. Um, and I have one friend who comes to me and he is also really into philosophy, and he says, "Hey, I'm thinking about leaving the church." And I, um, I ended up going to law school. I really like being the devil's advocate. I like arguing in a friendly way. And so, of course, my response to him, even though clearly I don't care if he stops going, <laughs> is like, well, why? That's stupid. And he, and he talks about the logic thing. Like, you know, you can't, you know, you can't logically prove religion. And he goes into, you know, the logical fallacies of religion that he's heard about. And I was like, well, what's so great about logic? Our, if you think about our entertainment, what makes entertainment great to us? It's the emotional aspect. What makes our relationships great? Logic? No, it's the emotional ties that we have with people. Like that's what makes life basically worth living. And it's not fairly sissy stuff. Like that is everything. And so I don't know why we accept this, this I don't know if lies too strong of a word that like things have to make sense logically to make sense and to be worth it. And, and I, I guess that resonated with him. And then the other point I made was, I remember learning in one of my classes, this, this principle of science called the pun P U N the principle of uniformity of nature. Okay. That basically means because one thing happens one way, it's going to continue to happen that way in the future. I'm not a scientist, so I hope I hope you don't get comments about this. But basically, <laughs> why do we think the sun's going to come up tomorrow? Because it's come up every day yes. in part of history. Okay, so we have really good evidence that the sun's going to come up tomorrow, but we're still putting faith in it. There is still an element of faith in everything in science. Um and yeah, is there a lot of evidence for something? Sure. But but there's still a lot of faith and science changes all the time. So 
when when you're coming to me, it's kind of what I said to this guy. When you're coming to me saying like logic and science are better than religion, I'm going to argue with you there because emotion does absolutely play a good role in our life. And science is basically founded on this principle that that can't be proven. So there you go. And I guess for the time being, it was enough for him. I don't know where he's at now in his life, but for the time being, I, I accidentally convinced him to stay in the church. <laughs> you accidentally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's very, it's an important perspective to maintain that, look, science and religion are not fighting. They're not butting heads. Absolute truth exists and it is out there. What changes is our understanding of it and our perspective and there's always the idea of, you know, the seven blind man feeling an elephant. And what, what is an elephant like? No, it's the trunk. It's the leg. It's the tail. That doesn't mean that there isn't an elephant. And that doesn't mean that an omniscient God doesn't see the entire elephant. Mm -hmm. So at some point, and I'm sure that you experience this also, when you, when you get into, you know, deep astrophysics and uh, the string theory and all of these things, at some point it comes down to believe it always comes down to belief Absolutely. you have to decide to believe something mm -hmm. and i don't think we have to choose believing in science or religion it's not an either or i agree totally with that yeah so but okay i interrupted though so your friend so you accidentally convince your friend to stay in the church what well, does no, that do for you oh, oh at the time i don't know maybe it planted a seed it wasn't like a big aha moment um, but it is something that I think about now, I guess, a lot. Um, but then, I don't know, I guess planting a seed is a good way to put it. But I also graduate college and right. I majored in, it was a dual major, not a double major, but a dual major in philosophy and English, which is like one of the most useless career-wise degrees, but I would argue one of the best educations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... I, I'm still in this dark place. I finished college. I'm not dating anyone. I have no idea what to do for a career. And I'm just like there, I don't feel like I really have a great future anyway, because I, I still kind of like, don't really believe in marriage. Cause you know, obviously mm -hmm, mm -hmm. my parents, um, I never actually wanted kids growing up. That, that didn't change for a long time. Now I love my kids. I'm very happy I have them. But um, I just say that because like, I, I'm just kind of looking at my life and I have no idea what to do or what I want. And it's just like, what am I doing? Yeah. And it's kind of like you said, you just have to decide what you're going to believe and what you're going to go after. And I just started thinking about like, what do I want? I want you know, okay, maybe I want to get married, but I want to be happy. And then looking at the world, like, yeah, the church is like, I'm kind of annoyed with the church and I'm kind of angry at God, but like most, a lot of people in the church are, they seem to be pretty happy. And they, like what I had before my parents got divorced, that was pretty ideal. Like, a, you know, there's a good moral system in the church. The church does a lot of good, um, around the world, a lot of charity, um, like charitable work, um, disaster relief. I, I trust the church the way it's run. I'm just kind of thinking about this and, 
And I have, I have a different friend who was very, very bitter about, about the church and had left the church. And he was like, well, I bet you're just, you're just going to marry some RM and have perfect little kids and go to church. And you're just, you're just going to like be one of those people. And I was just, I said to him, yeah, I, I think I am like, I think I am going to do that. Yeah. That sounds like a terrible life. Why would you ever choose that life? That's horrible. Exactly. And after I, after I met my husband and was engaged, he, he said, he's like, I knew you were going to do that. And that's always bothered me because I'm like, yeah, I told you I was, Yeah. (laughs) but, but that there wasn't even like a turning point. It was just, I was just kind of like, Hey, I'm going to go back to church. Um, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to start reading my scriptures. Okay. I'm going to start saying my prayers and just kind of see what happens. I was never like, this is definitely what I believe. Now I'm committed. It was just like, I don't know what I believe. I don't know if I believe in it, but this is a choice I'm going to make. I'm going to just act and see what happens. And it was, it was again, I still, when you asked me, have you had an experience that turns you to the savior? I, I still just like, I can't think of a, of an experience. It's just kind of yeah. like, I have very, very slowly and I don't want to say painfully, but like, it's like the seed that Alma tells you to plant the seed of faith. I have planted the seed and I have watered it and it is growing. Yes. That's all I can say. And it has grown a lot. Was it, was it Elder Bednar or it may have been someone else that talked about sometimes we have um, experiences in our life where somebody flips on the light switch and it's on. And sometimes we have experiences where the sun rises and it just slowly gets lighter and lighter. Yes. Yes. And the sun has never been so bright in my life. I'm so grateful. So grateful that I made those decisions. Okay. So earlier in our interview, you talked about how it's logic. Logic gets you what it gets you, but it's the emotion that, that makes relationships enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I heard in my mind was, Look, logic is the is the meat and potatoes, but emotion is the spice, is the flavor. Absolutely. Um, so tell me about, I mean, you kind of made this logical decision to go back to church. You looked back on your life. The happiest times were when I was had the church. So I'm going to experiment with this, but I don't know if I believe or not, but I'm going mm-hmm. to experience with it. Tell me now, um, has there been any seasoning yet? Or is it it still just logical for you? No, 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 no. I I would say definitely I've gotten to that point where I like, I, we read that, we read the new Testament this year for come follow me, right? We're reading it. And, and it, one thing that's weird about, about leaving the church. And I don't know if this is true for everyone, but I feel like it's often true. You forget so quickly, forget like the, the things that you've learned so quickly and during the time that I was not going to church, my peers were on missions studying the gospel every day. So I have felt like I am so behind on just like knowing the basics. Um, but yeah, this year with the New Testament, I feel like I'm reading the New Testament for the first time. And and I it's just so amazing to read the scriptures. I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> this is not me, but it is me. It's who I want to be like reading this, reading the scriptures, there's just so much, there's so much seasoning in there. There are so many, there are so many, there's so much hope in there. There are so many answers. There are so many just good principles. 
I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question right, but I would, I, I, I feel like I am so happy and there's so much safety in the gospel. And for me, that's the seasoning. Like the world has only gotten crazier and crazier either that, or I've just gotten older and I know more about it, but like, I don't have to be crazy with the world. I am calm. I feel safe. I feel happy. And, and I feel like, I feel like I have, I'm grounded in the right things. I don't put my identity or my testimony in family or in, you know, everything always going well it's in Christ. And because of that, like every other part of my life just feels more secure. That is so key. I wish that that could be to, to take a phrase out of my former state president's book. I wish that could be cross stitch and put upon everybody's mantle place. (laughs) Your identity isn't in a good marriage. Hopefully that's a fruit of, of action, but your identity isn't in having perfect kids or a successful job or anything along those lines. Your identity is in Christ. And with that, you can survive anything. Doesn't mean it'll be easy and you may get a lot of mud on your pants, Mm -hmm. but you're going to tromp through it and you're going to, and you're going to do it because that's where your identity is. Absolutely. Tell us about your marriage. Tell us about your husband. Oh, he's great. So it's a miracle. It is a miracle that I met him. He is from the family that I used to, that I used to have growing up. Everyone's active. Um, You know, his parents, they, they want to serve a mission. They're going to serve a mission soon. Like just like perfect Mormon family. Right. I mean, they have their issues, but he's just like so straight arrow. Um, He's never really questioned his testimony. He served a mission. He's great. And um, the time I met him, I was still kind of coming out of this. I was still, I still wasn't completely convinced, I guess, by the church. And, and um, he was not the type of guy I was dating. Every other guy I dated, probably, I don't think they had served missions, weren't active. So it is just a miracle that I, that I not only met his name's Josh, met Josh, but that he wanted to marry me. And he, um, he, he knew of these like rough parts of me gospel wise. And he tells me that he prayed about it. And heavenly father was just like, just, just don't worry about it. Like, just trust me. She'll be fine. Um, (laughs) that's great. And he'll tell you, I have, I have grown a lot since he met me in a lot of different ways. Um, but yeah, I, I, he's, he's one of the only people I would say that I am fully comfortable talking about the gospel with, I'm still not comfortable talking about it very much. It's, it's part of it is I don't like talking about feelings and being vulnerable. And part of it is, I feel like when you go inactive, everyone kind of judges you a little bit and I get that. And I don't, I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of a scarlet letter sometimes when you say, yeah, I, I've questioned the church. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting off. I'm getting off topic a little bit. Sorry. No, you're fine. I think, unfortunately, uh, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, and that's why, again, I think there's this hesitancy to talk about people's experiences. And by no means do I think that we all need to get together and share our doubts about the church. No, right. That's not what I'm saying. 
what I'm saying is let's share our real experiences with people, especially when they are edifying experiences, because I think a lot of us struggle. A lot of us have questions. Mm -hmm. And, and I think the Lord is saying, I mean, if people were asking, the Lord would say about a lot of us, don't worry about the rough spots. It'll work out. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But, But sometimes we are so concerned about maintaining the perfect image and Mm -hmm. being that straight arrow RM, uh, relief society president, whatever, that that we rob other people from the opportunity of learning from our experiences saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, let me tell you my experience. And hopefully you can take some shortcuts. Hopefully you don't have to walk the path that I did. Right. Yeah. But if you do, it's okay. We still love you. And there's a spot for you in the church and we're going to hug you when you're ready to come back. Exactly. I, I was reading through some old journals um, to prepare for this, and I and I read one where I wrote something. They're all very dramatic, but um, <laughs> I wrote something like, why is everyone trying to tell me what to do? All I am doing is taking a step back and deciding what I believe. Like, this is a good thing. But I I mean, I understand I'm a mom now. Like, if, if my kids wanted to leave the church, I do want them to find their own way. But I would be like, Sure. Like I, I get that, but when when you're in that mindset of like looking for faults in church and in believers, and you get that reaction from people who are in the church, like, oh, what are you doing? You're lost. You need to, you know, just buck up and come back. Like that's that's that feels like a lack of love, even if it mm-hmm. comes from a place of love. Yeah. So it's I feel like the best thing we can do when people question the church is just be like, great. Like that doesn't change anything when it comes to me and you. Yeah. Well, okay. So I was just going to ask you that. And going back to something that you said earlier, nobody myself or nobody else on this show is an expert at all. All we can share are the experiences that we've had. So based on the experiences that you've had, what do you wish people would say? And you already kind of answered it, but is there anything more that you'd, that you'd say on what would have helped you in this time of how um, active members of the church interacted with you? Um, I think, I think honestly, just like taking an interest in me as a person and not me as a member of the church. Um. And not, not trying to like rush and fix my problems, but just kind of be like, just be a friend, mm-hmm. yes, lead by example. I, there are a lot of people in my ward whose children have left the church and they're very, they're very anxious about it. And again, I, I get that anxiety, but I just want to say like, just love, just love. That's all, all you need to do. And it's hard because we're taught to like, we hear stories about, oh, this person said this thing, and that's what brought me back to the church. So we're always like, oh, we want to be the instrument in the Lord's hand. We want to say the phrase and the, or the question that that changes their mind. And it's important to listen to Revelation, of course. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you need to say something, follow that prompting. But but I think we need to really just focus on loving that person and and um we want when 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 and if people come back to the church we want them to come back 
because of us, meaning because of our example, because of our love, not in spite of us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, one of my favorite stories is um, somebody told it, just a, a member told it where they had a very rebellious childhood and they were always um, doing all the things that a rebellious young lady would do. And uh, parents talking to her and, and talking and, and really kind of going. And she said that there was one evening where her mom came down and they had like a 30 minute conversation. Um, both of them are crying. Uh, feel, mom feels like it's a real turnaround experience. Fantastic. Problem solved. Ah, oh, we're done. Thank goodness. Mom gets up and uh, the daughter turns around and eventually uh, comes back into full activity and testimony. Later, uh, the daughter says, mom, do you know why I returned to the church? And the mom says, yeah, it was because of that conversation that we had, that experience. And she says, no, mom, that night I told you exactly what you wanted to hear because I know that. And as soon as you left, I climbed out my window like I'd done a hundred times before and I started walking over to, to the party or wherever I was going to go. And as I was walking and leaving the house, I looked over and there was your bedroom window. And I saw you kneeling at your bed praying. And that's what clicked for me. That's when everything changed for me. It had, it, I hate to tell you, mom, but it didn't have anything to do with what you said. I, I was completely f feeding you whatever line you needed to hear. Mm -hmm. And I just think that there's a lot of experiences like that where, yes, we do want to be that one, that one person that says the magic word, but mostly it's probably going to be how they feel. It's going to be how they feel. Right. Going back to the logic thing, you don't, you don't make decisions like that based on logic. You make it based on feeling. Yeah. And if someone makes me feel like, like trying to guilt me or pressure me into the church or badger me or lecture me. I mean, all of these are experiences that I've had. It's like, <laughs> you're making me not want to go. And, and now, you know, when I do come back, I don't want to talk to you about it ever. Yeah. And I still have relationships where I'm just like, I don't want to talk about it because I don't feel like you accepted me then. And so I don't want you to be part of that part of me now. And it's, it's prideful on my part. I get that. I still have growing to do. Sure. It's as do all of us. Yeah. Okay. So I want, as, as we're kind of wrapping up here, um, at one point you, you expressed that there was a lot of anger towards God. Mm -hmm. You're now, you're coming back to the church. Testimony is growing. Talk to me about uh, the repair process of that relationship and, and how that feels, what, what happens there? Yeah. Again, this is a slow process. I think, well, first of all, I didn't really realize that's how I felt. My husband would always be like, I think you're just angry with God. And I'd be like, no, I'm not. Um, which is like, you know, <laughs> don't tell me I'm not angry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. yeah. um, and, and I did, I felt like I, I had to just first, I guess the first step was realizing I did feel like God gave me my family back and then took it away. I do. I did feel like that was his fault. He didn't save us. Um, I always hate when people are like, you have, you need to figure out like how to be thankful for trials. And I'm like, uh, he could have taught me these lessons other ways than my family being torn apart. And, and I think I've had to like, kind of realize that, that he didn't do it. Sure. Thank God. And, um, and I think just 
it's just kind of been a slow process to trust that there are better things. I mean, you get so myopic when you go through a trauma, like this is, this is the rest of my life. I'm never going to have a successful marriage. Um, you just kind of have to trust. And I think that trust has helped me to release that anger. And, um, I don't know, it's easy now because I have a really great life right now. (laughs) And so I feel like it's, it's, it's always easier to be grateful when you, um, when, when things are all going well, but I, I just think it's been the slow process of, of praying and reading my scriptures and learning who God is, who Jesus is and how they feel about me. That has helped me to not feel the anger that I had before. Yeah. Again, I so appreciate you being so real with your experience and your emotions, because I think that, um, man, a lot of times that relationship does take a long time to repair and to build. And it's really tempting to try to fast forward to the end and say, oh, nope, everything's great. Yep, that was a tough spot, but I'm fine now. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't do you any good. Right. And it doesn't do anybody else any good for you to pretend. And I think that being able to have a real relationship with your Heavenly Father and hopefully being able to say, hey, I was really upset with you. I don't want to be upset. And I know that you can help me not be upset, but but I'm not there yet. I'm still a little upset. And I'm still a little confused. So over the next one, five, 10 years, could you help me work on that? Right. Even just praying for the desire, like yeah. I think Emma says, it's, that's a fine place to start. Yep. Thanks again for taking time. Really appreciate it.